And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back, back for another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here to have another conversation I'm hoping helps your business grow. So throughout the history of time, inventors have done things and stuff and created all kinds of everything. Everything had to get invented at some point. And, you know, some inventions may go unnoticed and some are truly profound. But the real question is, what is going to empower the investors of tomorrow? That's exactly what we're going to talk about during today's episode of Startup Hustle, which is powered by Fullscale.io. Because hiring software developers is difficult and full scale can help you build software team quickly and affordably and has the platform to help you manage the team. Go to fullscale.io to learn more. It only takes like two minutes to answer a few questions and the full scale platform will show you who's available to help you out. With me today, I've got Nikhil Raghav, and he is the CEO and founder of InventXYZ. You can go to inventxyz.com. There's a link in the show notes to that. There's a link for full scale in there. There's a lot of links. So scroll on down and check that out. Without further ado, straight from my hometown, and I guess his hometown now too, of Kansas City, Missouri. Well, actually, you know, I'm from, I'm actually from Kansas, but we'll just say Kansas City. <laughs> Nikhil, welcome to Startup Hustle. Thanks for having me. It's gonna be really cool. Yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing a little bit more about your backstory and what you what you guys are doing at invent xyz yeah for sure um so i'll talk a little bit about the background and kind of our goals here but you know fundamentally kind of at your as you were talking about right like everything in our world has been invented by somebody um and it's really really important in a in an age where all of us have phones even kids in rural school districts have phones um and use like top of the line in video gpus and talk about gaming and stuff right like in a world where even sports is using data science and AI to figure out which players to draft. Um, I want to make sure that every single kid graduates middle school and high school with the skills to actually invent useful things for the future and not just learn how to fill out worksheets and maybe fill out a PowerPoint that has way too many words on it. Um, and so all of that for me kind of started in like middle school and high school. Um, where I actually was a percussionist, like in our school band. And I came up with this invention idea to play chords on like marimbas and xylophones because like the current technique actually causes tendonitis. Um, and my band director was like, uh, you should go make that thing. But I didn't know where to go make that thing. There was no like maker space or inventor's lab or anything like that. And my mom ended up driving me to some industrial parts warehouse uh, where the guy there told eighth grade me, hey, we don't have the part you're looking for, but if you've got a 3D design file, I can 3D print it for you. And at the time, I was totally flabbergasted that he would let like a scrawny eighth grader who had no idea what he was doing uh, touch a $100,000 3D printer at the time. Um, but that really kind of kickstarted the the whole inventor gene in me. And, uh, <laughs> you know, fast forward many, many years now, um, want to make sure every kid has that same kind of opportunity. Because I worked in the music industry for almost a decade, I'm kind of uh, curious, was that uh, was that a three-headed mallet? Ah, yeah, very, very close. Um, so it's a mallet holder that you can put whatever mallets you like in. Um, so if you want, you know, rubber or whatever, whatever material. And then it's got like a, an actuator. So um, you can change the interval between the notes as you're playing in real time. And, That's and smart. so, yeah. I like it. No, I like it. And and for those of you that don't know what a marimba is, it's a xylophone, basically. Um, <laughs> that's the technical word for xylophone. I don't think anyone in, in band plays the quote xylophone. It's always the marimba or something. Yeah, so, yeah, exactly. 
Well, congrats with that. I think that, you know, over the history of being an entrepreneur doing this show, which, you know, we're coming up on our thousandth episode, which is kind of crazy. I've had Mm -hmm. so many people reach out and had so many conversations with people that want to invent, build, create something and solve a problem. Um, I think that most people don't. They, everyone has this like idea for this invention and then they don't do anything with it as part of what you want to do at an event XYZ is like, the, I know you say you want kids to grow up with the skills to do things, mm-hmm. but I mean, what, how do we, how do we begin to actuate or get people that want to build quote stuff like you? I mean, dude, you had a supportive mother and I, you know, I want to commend her for actually, you know, not just being like, Oh honey, you know, and like <laughs> taking you somewhere to build something. But I mean, I don't think everyone's in that situation. And I don't think anyone, I don't think everyone's just, everyone's parents or even themselves are going to be right. like, well, maybe I should go to an industrial parts warehouse where they can fabricate something. Like, I mean, what's the, what's the key ingredient to giving the future inventors just the basic stuff they need? Yeah. Um, so I think there are two parts of that, right? One is access to the right equipment and that like, Nowadays, especially that's, that's pretty broad because yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah well, everything yeah. from like the computer to a 3D printer, right, 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 or or the thing behind me, which is a forty thousand dollars CNC router. There you go. <laughs> um, so uh, access to equipment, but more importantly, access to the right kind of curriculum and mentorship. Um, because at the end of the day, like making most of the stuff that we use in today's world, uh, isn't that doesn't necessarily require big stuff. Um, for example, I can design a printed circuit board and my own like electronic like wireless sensor or like a smoke alarm or, or whatever I want. And I can do that entirely in the computer and then send it off to like PCB way, for example, to, to get it made and shipped back to me. Um, and I can write all the code for it on a computer and then just plug it in via like a USB cable or something and, and make it work, right? Um, so the stuff matters, but it matters less than the guidance of how to actually use it. Um, but I think the solution to both access questions is actually schools. Um, and that's because that is where the vast majority of kids spend the vast majority of time throughout the year. Um, and schools have massive infrastructure budgets, like, you know, several hundred million um, if not in the billions sometimes, and they, they spend money on innovation labs and career technology centers and things like that. But most of the time the access is limited and equally a lot of the time the mentors in those spaces don't have any real world product design experience or have much exposure to how they can use AI or teach virtual reality or things like that, right? So I think empowering schools to provide better stuff and better content is really, really important. I feel like we got away from that as a country and a culture. And, you know, so I employ almost 300 developers, testers, leaders at full Mm. scale that are, you know, all in the Philippines. And, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the foreign countries that I I interact with, uh, they didn't get away from that, you know, and that's why they have so many people that, that's why there's an abundance of tech talent in certain countries and places. And they made some moves with that. I feel like the uh, United States for, I don't know, 15, 20 years, kind of, you look like, like uh, so I'm almost 50, man. I'm a few, it's so weird to say that, by the way. <laughs> but, uh, you know, when I was a kid, you know, they had Votech programs and shop class yeah. was a little more prevalent. And I, I, I swear we got away from it. And um, you know, and, and there, the, the trailing vapors of that is not only a, a, a world of tech that is short on people that write code and just do all of it. You know, you'd see a lot of like the construction industry is suffering from the same kind of shortage. Like we don't have welders and just people mm-hmm. that do skilled things anymore. And maybe, you know, getting that started again, you know, I, I had a, before the pandemic, I was at our office in Cebu City in the Philippines, and my wife had just enrolled our daughter in preschool. And she was 
really excited about the STEM program and I was bragging about it uh, hmm. in the cafeteria and a bunch of our employees were laughing at me and I was like, well, why are you guys laughing? And one of our uh, developers said to me, he said, well, Matt, we've been doing that stuff here for the last 20 years. <laughs> and, you know, we felt like it was new. We were like STEM yeah. and like this, like we had invented something and I kind of, you know, <laughs> and then, you know, like I said, I kind of got laughed out the door on that. And, you know, I guess that really does start at the, the base level. And you look at certain countries, like, for example, Uruguay in 2007 hmm. passes a constitutional amendment that requires all of their kids and all of their teachers to receive free laptops and free Internet. Fifteen years later, they have an abundance of talent in that regard. Hmm. So, Interesting. Didn't know that. Yeah. It's, and, you know, these things aren't these aren't instant fixes, but they're cultural within a society. And, and you know, now I have a seven and a half year old and a five and a half year old. And man, if you talk to kids now. What are you going to do? I'm going to be a YouTuber. <laughs> yep. Good luck. Good freaking luck. So, yeah. All right. So now here's the thing. It's one thing to, I, I think that there's been a lot of useful shit that has been built in life and then it never makes it to market. It mm -hmm. never gets in the right hands. How do we solve that problem? Yeah. Okay. So let's, which is I maybe, mean, maybe more serious than building it. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that's very true in like sort of the ed tech field, right? Um, where oftentimes your product doesn't need to be all that special, but your biggest competitive advantage is getting into a school because that means that you've acquired their budget for several years. Um, and so in our case specifically, right. Um, what we were, what we were doing is like very much comes off as a, or it came off, I should say, as a nice to have product until recently where, uh, several States started passing, um, mandates that every single student needs to graduate with a computer science credit. Um, and so now there are like six states with that kind of requirement. And then uh, there are a few that have like a K-8 requirement and there are more coming on the way because 50 governors just signed a, a letter saying that every kid should have access to computer science. Um, so what that means is now suddenly, you know, most schools have like 300, 400 kids per grade, right? Like in, in ninth grade, for example, suddenly we need uh, like three or four computer science teachers in every high school. To achieve this, good luck. They don't exist. Yep. Um, and so and, now and if, there's and if, a, they, if they do and they're qualified, they're working for a tech company. Getting yeah, paid exactly. Three right. times what the elementary school will teach them. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, and so, I mean, for that matter, three times what a high school would pay to, right? Um, and so there's now a like state mandated demand. There are not very good alternatives. And now there is an opening for me to. I mean, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm still cold calling, cold emailing, and meeting these people at conferences where the topic of the conference has something to do with computer science or career exploration or STEM or innovation. Um, but if I can get in front of the district leaders, specifically superintendents, assistant superintendents, uh, curriculum directors, and so on, um, and say, hey, look, you've got this mandate. You've got a year to figure out something to implement. Instead of spending $300,000 a year per school on computer science teachers, which by the way, you can't find to begin with. How about use our solution, which embeds this computer science and innovation and invention across all of your existing courses um, for like a third of that. Yeah. And I think that's probably the solution to making it scalable. I, I think that the, the, there's been, I mean, my whole business is based around helping founders and tech companies solve the talent shortage. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. that's the whole, that's my entire business is around that. I mean, that's, I have a very strong grasp on the why yeah. and the how. Yeah. And the problem is, is what you're mentioning. Like, so you mentioned six states having this computer science requirement that someone needs to get a credit. I mentioned mm -hmm. Uruguay because I think Uruguay is a great example of, of systemic change in this regard. By the time you're 15, you are required to have three years of English language and three years of computer science. Oh, okay. Three that's years by the good. time you're 15, not a credit, you know, yeah. and that's the, <laughs> and you know, but the thing is, is it took, you know, it's, it, and, and you can make these changes and install this or get it moving, but it's still going to take like a generation and a half. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you know, the problem that's, that's a little bit challenging with, so this is not manufacturing, like with you, when it came to building cars and, you know, you have to ship a car across an ocean on a freighter and carry it around. Like you can ship code around the world with a push of a button. So mm -hmm. I'm not sure we're ever going to catch up with that, to be honest, like it's, we need more people doing it. So, uh, the last time I checked, which was recently, hmm. there were estimated to be between 300 and 350,000 open, I say tech jobs. And I mean like technical tech jobs, yeah. not sales jobs at a tech company. Right. 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 That's huge, dude. There's no, there is no major market in the U S that doesn't have a negative unemployment rate for developers. Yeah. Like here, yeah, yeah. here in Kansas city, which depending on how you want to look at our market, we're between the 25th and the 30th biggest market. That's a tiny ass Kansas city. And there's eight to 9,000 jobs open. Right. Yeah. 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 And, and having it's zero sum too. Cause if you fill one, you just open another. So it's, I mean, this <laughs> is a real problem to solve as a society and then for entrepreneurs. Now let's talk about the interim though. For what sure. are we going to do in the short term? Because like you're, if you're, you know, you're talking about training eight year olds right now. Um, they're not ready for the workforce. 12 for, year olds, I suppose. But yes, I mean, your point. I mean, even that, that's, yeah. they're still 10 years away. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And then they have no experience. So they're really more like 13 to 15 years away. So mm -hmm. how does an inventor or any of that, like how, how to, I mean, do you have any, any, uh, I'd like to hear what your take is on the, on yeah, the now sure. side of things. Um, okay. So that's, that's pretty interesting. Um, so I think about that in a couple of ways. Uh, one, like, I don't, I don't know that people think about visa programs in the following way, but they really should, which is we are literally stealing the cream of the crop from other countries and saying look we'll get you educated and we'll get you a really high paying job and don't go back to china thanks bye right we're we're literally saying let's just take all the best talent and and you know like really i think that importing importing talent idea actually makes a lot of sense because it strengthens the us and to some extent when, when trump was president things. we did the opposite yeah. of that we yeah, we let them stay. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Well, no, we didn't even let them stay. We didn't even let anybody in. No, I'm saying let them all. stay in their home country. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then created a hostile environment. It actually made it worse. Because like right, the, right. what happened was that, because here's the thing, if you, okay, so if you bring dad over, you need to be, to create an environment where you can bring mom, the kids, like all mm -hmm. that. And it was just so difficult. It actually made it worse. It yeah, actually sure. widened the talent shortage, and yeah, it's a, it's it's a challenge, man. And even like bringing people in, and then a lot, and then some people just, I mean, it, so I, at at our office in the Philippines, and we're all right. across the country there. And the Philippines is a very uh, is a very friendly, is a very user friendly environment for Americans. Like it's mm. uh, their their official business language is English. It's like it's just very friendly. Uh, yeah. they're 90% of the country's Catholic. So you have a lot of compatible holidays and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And a lot of folks want to come over and then they, cause it, they're like, Oh wow, I could make a whole lot of money. And then they realize how expensive it is to, sure, to yeah. live here. And it's, and maybe all that glitters isn't gold. And then another thing too, is it's just a long way from home. I mean, it's literally 13 time zones away. So yeah, right. now zoom and GitHub and just like, and, and a world where you can make a phone call somewhere overseas and not have to pay $9 a minute has helped some of that. But yeah, it's, it's sure. going to be interesting. Yeah. And I mean, I think to your point about those last two things, right? The second piece there is increase the leverage of your existing talent. Um, so for example, a tool like uh, GitHub Copilot, or mm -hmm. um, I don't know if you've looked at any of the large AI language models, like one of the, uh, I guess, open source ones is Bloom. And obviously there's like GPT-3 and stuff by OpenAI, but some of those are really, really interesting. And actually we're thinking about using one of those models to actually help teach people how to debug their code because you can actually put in a block of text and then kind of format a prompt to say like, okay, what is the main idea of this text? And then you like put answer as your like colon and then let it fill in and it'll like populate from the existing text and try to extract key pieces. It's, it's like really powerful. Um, but you could do, you know, 
things like that, wherein your existing developers can output more. Um, and now suddenly your person who was doing the work of one person might be able to do the work of 1.5. Um, so well, I, think I think there's, one, I think one answer to too is, is accept the fact that you don't have what you need here and be open to hiring people that aren't necessarily, Hey, look, if you're trying to hire developers right now, I'll just tell you right now, they don't want to come to your office. <laughs> That's not a selling point in the recruitment yeah. process. I'm yeah. actually giving a speech on this, uh, in a couple in, in 11 days, actually uh, to, Interesting. Uh, to amplify Missouri. Yeah. to like founders and everywhere about recruiting tech talent and some of it, you just have to embrace it for what it is. And yeah, that's, you know, I think that the interesting thing, and this seems like a good time to mention that finding expert software developers does not have to be difficult, especially when you visit fullscale.io where you can build a software team quickly and affordably use the full scale platform to define your technical needs and then see what developers, testers, and leaders are ready to join your team, fullscale.io to learn more. You know, I run into some, some, uh, uh, did I say investors of tomorrow again? Yeah. Uh, no, at the beginning. Oh my God. I need autopilot. So, <laughs> um, did I say that in the beginning? At the beginning. Oh my gosh. We're empowering the inventors of tomorrow. Yep. <laughs> See, I need autopilot or speed or, or everything. Uh, anyway, yeah, what is we're talking like? about invention people. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, part of, uh, I want to, I like to clarify things because I think some people not, might not know what we're talking about with the autopilot thing. So in GitHub, there's, there's tools and AI, so developers write code. And with that, sometimes make errors, issues, they got to look in libraries, they got to do a number of different things and tools are coming out that are essentially like autocomplete and kind of help them do things uh, better, faster, and cheaper. Um, you know, one of the things that I run into a lot when I talk to folks is that, okay, first off, I just want to clarify, there are smart people everywhere. You just got to know how to find them and look for them. Like, um, yeah. I think as a, a, in a, in the United States, we often get a little heady when it comes to thinking that no one's going to do it as well as we do. Um, which is not true. There are smart people everywhere. Uh, I think that, um, that's the challenge. You know, that's the problem we solve at full scale is, is we only hire one in 30 candidates, but how do you find the one that, you know, that you want to find an offer for and, and, you know, looking for people, I think if you're an inventor, there we go, I got that right. Um, if you're an inventor, uh, you know, I think that you're going to, well, I don't know. I feel like I, I know a couple of inventors and, they're not usually depending on other people to create the invention, maybe to scale it or expand it or deploy it. Um, yeah. But, you know, there's a lot, I, I, I don't know. I think that some of it is, is accepting the fact that, you know, there's a lot of people out there. I mean, whether they're in the Philippines or Eastern Europe or Africa, like there are smart yeah. people everywhere. So given I mean, to that point, given the tools and the opportunity, they figure shit out. To that point, right? So I, I actually was at Google for six months uh, working in the Google hardware team on the Pixel 4 smartphone. And uh, we we kind of saw like a tour of one of the factories. I mean, I didn't actually get to go to China, but, but um, you know, other team members on my team like would regularly go. And um, that kind of like super high precision, uh, like pr printed circuit board manufacturer process that goes into basically every phone, smartwatches, and so on, is physically not possible to do anywhere outside of China. Because right now, those are the factories that have that capability to do it at high quality. And and so, like, to your point, right, smart people everywhere, in some cases, uh, it is only constrained to certain areas to do the things that we all depend on. <laughs> And those yeah, areas may not be I, the U.S. There seems to be a pretty aggressive uh, set of policy and investment set on changing that. You know, you see, like we obviously had yeah, this chip shortage, and yeah. I mean, it, if if you just skim the Wall Street Journal, even just weekly, there is an article about some company, or I mean, I mean, we've even restricted our bill. Our uh, well, uh, Nvidia is is that how you say it? The, make the, the GPUs that a lot of people use for Bitcoin mining and stuff like that. But these processors, we've actually restricted the export 
of some mm-hmm. of them to not just like power up everyone else to be better than we are. But yeah, that there, it, it is, it is interesting. And why did a chip shortage occur? Cause there was like two or three places on the planet. Yeah. That made the chips and they were all in Taiwan or yeah, China I, or Taiwan, depending, China, depending on who Korea, you ask, that's either Taiwan or China. I was actually, yeah. I was actually leaving on a flight out of Taipei and there was a guy sitting next to me reading a Chinese language newspaper. And I looked over at him and I said, I've never been to China before. And he looked over at me and said, you still haven't. And then went back to reading. (laughs) So yeah, you be careful with that. If you're ever in Taiwan, they don't want to, that is not part of China. So he didn't say anything to me for the rest of the flight. So I assumed that I assumed the right opening line, I guess. Yeah. 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 I, I was just kind of talking to myself on, on some, level. Once again, with me today, Nikhil Ragav, and we are talking about what's empowering the inventors of tomorrow. We'll get that right. We'll get that. We'll get that right on the title. So okay, um, nice. not, not the first time I haven't been able to read something. Okay. So what are your solutions largely, you know, we've talked a lot about code and computer science and stuff like that, but you got a $40,000 router behind you. Yeah. Um, I got to believe that all your inventions are not just uh, uh, you know, in the yeah, cloud, software. Uh, Correct. what else are you building? Um, yeah. So let, let me talk a little bit about the curriculum we're building. And then let me talk about some of my personal projects as well. So yeah, go for it. Um, the curriculum that we're building is to teach kids how to build inventions using the following technologies. Um, so that is data and AI web development, um, internet connected electronics or IOT, um, physical product design. So that's things like, uh, 3d printing, laser cutting. I mean, CAD, first of all, to even design the product and the CNC router. And then the last little bit is mixed reality, uh, which includes things like virtual film production, uh, obviously like video game design and then motion capture, architectural visualization and, and those kinds of things. And, and, some of the projects that we'd like to see eventually with students is where they actually combine some of those pieces. So you can imagine, for example, in theater, where students are designing a prop in CAD software, then using a CNC router to produce the prop. And then in the background, they've got uh, like a projector setup where they've designed another bigger piece of the 3D environment in like a video game engine, such as Unreal Engine. They're projecting that. And then They've got some electronics embedded in their prop. So as certain actors hit certain points on stage, different parts of the prop light up or it moves or something like that, right? Like super hyper interactive stuff. Um, Or another example of like where we're trying to go uh, or what we're already doing, right? Is we have a project for students in algebra class um, to learn how to build and code their own electronic music instrument. Uh, so that they actually see what the heck is the point of learning about sine waves and imaginary numbers. Um, so that's the type of curriculum we're building. Uh, and then I can talk about some of my personal projects, but I guess you can like react first or whatever. <laughs> well, I have some firsthand. Ex- so I mentioned working in the music industry. I used to work for Roland. That's the world's oh, largest yeah, yeah, maker sure. of electronic musical instruments and the inventor of MIDI, um, the mm, inventor of a lot of stuff, uh, almost all things digital uh, Roland. Yeah. Uh, start and they don't always operate under that brand but yeah there's a lot that goes into it like even when if you were playing super mario brothers on the nintendo entertainment system they bought mm-hmm. those sounds from roland um, right but yeah there's a it's such interesting innovation uh that comes with that you know the the founder of roland is a, is a japanese watchmaker uh ikataro kakahashi and he yeah. is in his mid 90s and still doing it man but he uh <laughs> He, when he, you you talk about some of the things that were created and invented, he invented MIDI. So it's musical instrument, digital interface is what MIDI stands for. It was really the, the pioneer of digital sound and then, and then just gave it away, open sourced it at a, at a time in the world where nobody did that, you know, and he realized what he had created and what it could connect to. And, and I would imagine you talk about, well, kids, if, that's probably what they're going to use or similar to that. It's the basic, uh, 
pillars of that if you're going to create anything musical. So yeah, exactly. Pretty neat stuff. And you know, this was at a, I mean, and that was like a long time ago. We're talking like like 80s. 80s. Yeah. So yeah. So some of that stuff's pretty cool. And I have a, I have a lot of appreciation for people that understand that certain things need to just be given to the world. You know, that's, like I said, the open source wasn't a thing in 1983 whatever when he invented it but yeah and there's so much that goes into that stuff too like people don't realize that they think it's just a computer makes a sound like roland actually has like this like crazy uh recording studio that's like completely like you shut the door and you can hear your heart beating it's that yeah that yeah, yeah. Quiet i think one too they have like I when I went there, they had a grand piano in there, and they had these solenoids that were just playing. <laughs> they were playing the keys at a hundred different levels of pressure, and it was just yeah. going. It's like and you don't even know notice the difference until about every like ten or so, it gets a little bit louder. And they're yeah. literally recording every single strike and all of that. And I mean, there's a lot that goes into the things that you hear. And, yeah. and, and you get I mean, used to it. We got spoiled with it now. Cause it's like, I don't know, you look at like a field recorder in 1999 was like the size of a briefcase and now it's your phone. So, right. Right. Yeah. 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 I mean, I mean, just doubling down a little bit on the, on the music and the solenoid machine pressing the keys yeah. for a second there. Um, I mean, to that point, right. Like sound is actually like a logarithmic scale for perception and it's such a natural way in math class to actually talk about some of these like functions and and like things that seem super abstract but are actually like very commonplace. Um, and so like exactly as you're saying, right? You 10x the the pressure and it seems roughly twice as loud now. Yeah. Um, and yeah. and that's not something that seems obvious at first, but that's actually how our how our ears work more or less. Um, yeah. So so yes, I, I yeah. Really I want to like hear more example. about your personal your personal uh, sure. Uh, quests or whatever you're yeah, working yeah, side on. Side projects. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um when I moved to Kansas City, I uh didn't know anybody. Um so I was like, okay, let me think about some of the things I like. I used to play football in middle school. Maybe I can join a flag football team or something. So i I found some group on Facebook and I joined the flag football team and I, I mean as expected I knew nobody. Um but I got put in a team where um everyone was actually new to that league, which is cool. And so as a result, none of us had any chemistry, right? So like if you watch like the NFL and you watch players like Aaron Rodgers or like Tom Brady, they have that chemistry so tight with their receivers that they'll throw the ball before the receiver has even turned. And the the timing is so perfect that they just know where to expect it and the defender can't defend that thing whatsoever. Um, and so to create a chemistry like that takes lots of practice and you know a rec flag football team doesn't really practice all that much um so i came up with this uh sort of bluetooth watch band kind of thing just using simple like cheap microcontroller with a strap and a battery but basically i put the wrist strap on like the quarterback's hand and then all the receiver's hands as well and then it detects when the quarterback claps to get the ball to start the play and then um you can set a timer to simulate like the rush coming at you. So you have to get rid of the ball before the defense comes to try to stop the quarterback. And so, for example, if we set it at one and a half seconds, it starts the timer on everybody's watch and then everybody's wrist buzzes at that time. So they know to turn around. And as a result of this technology, we're able to build that kind of chemistry like five times faster. Um, I, I like, it tried it Did a it work? Times. I tried it a couple of times on like prototype <laughs> mode and it was like pretty decent. <laughs> yeah. Um, a little buggy. So need to fix that, but it does, does do what it's supposed to do for the most part. I think my problem with that would be that with my size and age, can I really stop my forward momentum and turn around that quickly? <laughs> um, that's a, that's a real thing at, at, yeah. at six, four to 60. Maybe I'll just stay on the offensive line. Then. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, you can be a good uh, blockade. I, I think it's a it's really interesting. The I think we're in this. I, I've referred to this on other shows that we're in this golden age of of like creatorhood and invention mm-hmm. and 
you know, I mentioned having this history around, around the music industry and, you know, I, I mean, here's the thing in like 1997 recording an album was a very difficult undertaking to do it well. Right. And right. now all of a sudden, like everyone's walking around with a 4k camera and like all this like crazy stuff. It's, it's become very accessible. I think the same thing goes for people that invent, like you look at like the raspberry Pi. Yeah, is, exactly. Is, is just a super toolsy thing. Like I, t- I have talked to people over the years that are using a hobby grade circuit board to do to create some pretty innovative and crazy stuff. And yeah, uh, you, now you get into this world of three D printing and all these all this maker stuff and maker spaces. You know, I mm-hmm. I think that's a, a new thing. Over and granted, there was always places that creative people did creative stuff, but like the maker studio is like a real thing now. And yeah, yeah, um, you know, and and you mentioned you know moving to Kansas City. I was picking on Kansas City earlier for our small population, which isn't really like a jab at KC. It's just the reality. But we've been pretty fortunate here. And and I've been in Kansas City most of my whole life. I've lived a lot of other places, but always came back here. And, you know, we've, we've got a pretty robust community of things going on there. Now, whether you're here in our town and most people listening or not, I guarantee you there is something similar somewhere near you. You just have to go look for it and go find it. And it's uh, it could be at colleges, schools, uh, you know, a lot of what you'll see. I, I think that's probably it, I mean, where else can I if I have an idea, where else are some places where I can infuse that into a reality? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I actually moved to Kansas City because I helped design a makerspace um, for uh, like underserved urban high school mm-hmm. students. Yep. Um, but like to your, your question, there are like libraries as well that actually have okay. uh, laser cutters, 3d printers, like, I don't know, at least a couple hundred thousand dollars worth of stuff that you could use and nobody uses. <laughs> um, right. And I, again, I think the big thing is like needing like some guidance on, on what to do. And obviously you can like go through forms and stuff, but like one of the things that we're doing uh, and I mean, right now it's targeted at school districts, but that I think we're probably going to offer this library publicly as well um, for like some super cheap, like $2 a month subscription is like um, we're building this library of really short tutorial videos that are like two minutes or roughly per video. And it's like specifically on certain topics. So for example, if you're 3d printing and um, you like need to switch out your filament because you ran out in the middle of your print, how do you do that without like destroying your print and having to start again? Um, or like you're designing something in CAD, but it's not turning into a proper shape. How do I fix that issue? Or um, you're working with like a Raspberry Pi and um, what the heck is a digital write? Um, you know, understanding those kinds of things and then building up to bigger and bigger pieces and how do I connect to an internet service and like what is a JSON and so on, right? So really making them really bite-sized, extremely searchable um, so that you don't have to sit through like a 30 minute video or go through the entire list on YouTube and still have no idea what actually matters and what doesn't. Regardless of the length of the video or the article or anything, you Mm -hmm. don't have an excuse of saying that the info, the guidance, the tutelage, the, the path, you can't say it's not there. Cause I mean, here's the thing. So you, you went to Penn, am I correct? Yeah. Okay. That's a good school. It's, I dropped out of five colleges. All right. Mm -hmm. Now, I mean, one of them was a top 10 business school, but I started a business halfway through it. And I was like, Hey, this is what I went to school to do. And I'm doing it. I'm going to keep doing it. Now I I learned everything on Google, dude, Google and YouTube. And you know, it sounds like such a cheap response when someone's like, well, I want to build something. How do I do it? Google it like for real, like it is a real thing. Like there's an endless sea of knowledge, videos, all of it, it mentorship. And then that's kind of what I want to go to next is like, if you're trying, look, the same way inventors are entrepreneurs, uh, at least most, most every time, Um, you know, there's, there is a component of you don't just, you might invent or build something to solve an issue you have. But if you're building like a market ready product, you're an entrepreneur. Entrepreneurs yeah. like to help other entrepreneurs and inventors like to help other inventors and, and, you know, we're like yeah, to be around each true. other. And, and the, the, all you got to do is ask. And 
you know, I've had so many people say to me, they're like, well, dude, how did you get started? I just I kept asking people. I, I really just have made a living finding people that are doing the things that I want to do, whether they're the way I do them or not. And I just want to talk to them. And, yeah. and I've just hmm. pick up little tidbits. Now with that, there is a key ingredient. And if you leave this part off, you're not going to get much help. You need to make it easy for people to help you. All right. So I do, I just this morning cleared out once again, because I do this about once a week, cleared out my LinkedIn inbox hmm. of people wanting to do a coffee meeting. No explanation about who they are, what they do, right. what they want, what we talk about. They just think it'd be a great idea if I dropped whatever I was doing, drove all the way across town, blindly met them for coffee, and then went back home. And see, here's the thing. I say no every time because, I mean, well, not every time, but like 99.8% yeah, of the time. you what, what you're trying to do. I don't even reply. Now yeah. there's a, now I mentioned making a living on this and doing it myself. Like if I wanted to reach uh, Nikhil, if I want information from you or any of your input, I'm going to say some, Hey man, I, I really, I'm, I, I'm going to compliment you on what you've done. Right. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to say, I really, I really, I'm really in admiration of what you've built, what you're doing. And I would love to spend some time with or around you. What can I do to make that easiest for you? And if you tell me you're only available at 3 a.m. on Wednesday mornings at your house that is an hour away, then it is what it is. If you want, if you want that interaction, go make it easy for that other person and you will find you get people that will help you. Now, if you're like, so you, to, you actually ask the question, what can I do to make it yeah. easiest for you? Yep. 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 I'll, I'll try that. That sounds like yeah. a good question. Yeah. Cause, cause the thing, or some, some iteration of it, something that's like, you know, like I'll come to you is the mm -hmm. main, the mm -hmm. main premise. Now zoom has made it easier to do that or calls or whatever, but it's like, you tell me what you, what I can do to make it easy for you, all of it. And there, this, that little fine line in the middle is don't be like, Hey, I'd love for you to come see my space not going to happen. Mm -hmm. You know, go to that person and offer to do it whenever it is like, and, 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 and don't, and, and how bad do you want it? And, but if you make it easy for people to, and this is like kind of turned into one of my golden rules, because really because of this podcast, I get a fair amount of outreach and people like, just, I don't know. It's like, and I want to help people, but I always help the people that make it easy for me to help them. Yeah. Cause I'm busy. I got stuff going on. And so do the people that you want help from. So, you know, it's like, whether it's a call or whatever, you know, just like, Hey, whatever's convenient for you, tell me where I need to be or how I can do it. That's good for you and, and be flexible. Right. Yeah, for sure. I've had, you know, I've had actually yeah. a lot of advice calls with the other person driving. Right. Yeah. Like, so for example, like I, I was trying to figure I, out yeah. what are the metrics for, uh, kind of uh, like ed tech sales, like how many cold yep. calls per week? How do you get that to conversions of meetings? Yeah, you and mentioned that people are helping you and they're, they're replying yeah. and talking to you while they're driving. Yeah, yeah exactly. That's so they're, they're driving's, like, a, driving's a low to no value activity. So they're, yeah. they're, hi they're hyper producers and I'm in that group and anything <laughs> you can stack on to those, those times, like exactly. I actually yeah. structure my day. Uh, so I don't come to the office as much as I used to. But mm. I definitely do drive time calls. Um, yeah, and I sense. just picked up a new Tesla yesterday that drove me to work today. So I've got even more, I've got even more safety around that call, but, but that's the key and, you know, and just, and, and being flexible. And I think that if, you know, like I said, you, I, I'll, sometimes I'll ask if it's someone that's really busy, if we're going to do a meeting, I'll, I'll even ask, how much time do we have? And you'll find a lot of people leave it open-ended because look, there's a, there's an unspoken thing with entrepreneurs that uh, so many people helped me when I was younger and they took an interest in me or what I was doing. They didn't need to do any of that, but they did. And I feel as I've gotten older, I feel the need to repay that and pass that, you know, knowledge isn't meant to be kept. In fact, it's greedy to keep it. So you know, like, and there's, you, you really do look back when you get older, if you've been successful and you're like, wow, you know, there's, 
so many people and you kind of ask why. And it's because you remind them of themselves mm-hmm. when they were 20 or 25. And I've been doing this for a, a while now, Nikhil, and I just actually uh, had hosted someone in, in our suite at the local venue. We went to wrestling last night of all weird things to go to. Sometimes as an entrepreneur, seeing someone get thrown through a folding table is actually exactly what this you is like WWE yeah, kind of yeah. stuff or is this okay? Yeah. But this guy had, had thanked me uh, for giving him the courage to drop out of college and he did really well afterward. But you know, that's a weird thing. I, I actually have had several people read my book million dollar bedroom and feel like mm-hmm. the courage to, cause I was like, I said that on page two, I'm like, Hey, I dropped out of five colleges. That doesn't mean shit as an entrepreneur. It does in some regards and sometimes it doesn't. So yeah, all right. So, so we raced right through this episode. Um, you know, there's, I, I, I like to end my episodes of the show with what I call the founders freestyle. And, you know, okay. I say my episodes, I'm not the only host of the show. If those of you listening are not aware, tune into my weekly episode with my business partner and startup hustle co-founder, Matt Watson. Matt's done a couple of things. Man, he had three companies in the Inc. 5,000 this year, three. I'm just going to change his name to Midas, perhaps. Also, <laughs> tune in for Lauren Conaway's weekly episode. She's the founder of Innovate Her. And if you want to learn how to sell some stuff, maybe even the invention that you make uh, with Invent XYZ, then listen to Andrew Morgan's talk all about e-commerce and Amazon. So, Nikhil, on the way out, I mean, what's for, you know, when we... Uh, when we talk about, you know, empowering inventors of tomorrow, like what's the, like, what's the best advice you can give to the founder inventor uh, that hasn't done it yet? Hmm. Okay. So I, and so, so is my COO for that matter. Like we're both big fans of, um, it's basically the same stuff that like James Clear talks about, but make the habits that you want to form the default or the laziest habit. So I'll give you the example and then you can extrapolate it to how you would use it in in another scenario, right? But the example and and where I heard this concept first and I was like, oh shit, this makes so much sense is from uh, like Toby Lutke, the um, CEO of Shopify. So he talked about how, you know, in their company cafeteria, they'd have like the entrance and then all the seats and then like the the buffet line and like a, a receptacle for dirty dishes. They'd had this problem where all these people would eat in the cafe and they'd just leave their plates at the desk or at the at the cafeteria table, right? Um, and so they started putting posters on the wall saying, please return your, your spent dishes. Um, didn't really work. They made the text bigger. They made it red. They put a bunch of exclamation marks. Nothing did anything. And then someone had the bright idea to move the dirty dish receptacle from the back to right next to the doors. Suddenly, they made it easy to help. They made it easy to help. Yeah, exactly. Now they don't need the posters anymore. People just do it automatically, right? So just like what you're saying about making it easy for other people to help you, make it easy for yourself to make the decisions or do the tasks that you need to do and make that the easier thing to do than doing something else. Um, so it like make it less about willpower and make it more about structuring your systems and your environment in a way that makes it very easy to get started or to cold call 60 people a day or whatever, whatever it is. Um, For for my freestyle, first off, I'm going to thank you for proving my thesis right on the helping (laughs) part. But it's true. Human nature is human nature. Like make it easier for people to do stuff and they'll do it. And, you know, some of that is you can sit around and kind of wish things were different or you can just like that was a small change. Sometimes the smallest changes turn into the biggest results. If I had to give an inventor advice, I would say you need to understand that they're going to call you crazy before they call you a genius. Um, I think that anytime you want to do something new or different, um, it's, you know, people are going to throw stones at it and you got to learn to distance yourself from those kinds of people. Um, an inventor's mind needs to run wild. And with that though, I think you gotta not try to be great at every single thing. 
Um, the one I've had so many people, uh, I don't, maybe it's just standing out cause I'm reflecting a lot. I, I mentioned coming, I'm three I'm 47 years old and yeah, you know, which by the way, out of 300 employees at my tech company, I'm the second oldest person and I'm not even that old man. Like that's not, yeah. I mean, I'm, you know, I get it. I'm not young either, but, um, but I think the thing that I've really, I get people that want me to be involved in stuff all the time. And I say no, cause trying to be great. If you want to be, if you want to operate at this high level, you can, you, you just, the capacity that you have as a human isn't going to let you do that for 27 different things. You need to pick a few things and, and get real good at them. And you'll find that, that life will become a lot easier. The people that uh, people ask me a lot, how do I make more money? Get good at something. Get good at something and quit focusing on money because the money's a byproduct of doing everything else right, you know, and, mm-hmm. and some or even coming close. But it's really experts. And 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 I think that, you know, Matt Watson, and I joke a lot about we comment on, quote, shiny things and let's not chase every single one of them. So, you know, I think that most people, especially, you know, the inventor mind and I'm an inventor of sorts myself. I don't make physical things the same way you do, but I actually have in the past. I've actually built things to accommodate other things we're doing. And like, yeah, sometimes you just got to take the initiative and do it. And it doesn't have to be perfect. I think if you're building it for yourself and your own internal innovation, who gives a shit what it looks like? You know, it's like there's a there's a level of uh, expertise in there. And then the the last thing I'm going to suggest is that, you know, there are 24 or 25 traits that people associate with, quote, genius and genius and talent are often very misunderstood. Talent is being able to hit a target that everyone sees and Hmm. genius is hitting the target that no one even knew existed. Now, with that, these traits are are very well documented. They've been out for a long time, and they're things that you can practice every day. Um, and you know, and they're you know, there's they're just just Google it. Traits of genius, and they're all things that if you have those traits, you can enhance them, focus on them, and do something. I've actually been studying this over the last five years, quietly and privately. People keep asking me if I'm writing another book. Who knows? Who knows? Nikhil, I want to continue this conversation um, down the road because I love I love inventors. So let's go ahead and call it a day on this one and uh, get you involved in, oh, you know what? Fullscale.io. There you go. Got my final ad read and I'm not going to get in trouble at work. Today. I'll see you down the road, dude. <laughs> Sounds good. I just wanted to quickly show you the other. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.